It's much better, uh, even if you don't like this film, than the Wally Fister version of what this would have been. So, you know. Yeah, probably. Boy, that guy's done. Yeah, his c- career is not as transcendent as he thought it would be. <laughs> oh, man, I went deep. Oops. <laughs> I meant deep. <laughs> Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new Christopher Nolan film, which is Dunkirk. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome into episode 121 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along again with just Nick Cheney this week, as, as Toussaint Egan again is I wasn't kidding absent. when I said that we fired him. <laughs> He's also not going to be here next week, so, I mean, I think we should just, we're just going to plan for him just to, I think the status quo going forward is that he will not be here until he appears again. Oh, buddy, we miss you. Yeah. It's going to be weird when Kenny appears on an episode before Tucson does again, so. What if we just have Kenny and call him Tucson? That would be something. He would, like, have two-word responses to things. It's like whiteface. He's a white guy. <laughs> anyway. He's pretty fly. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. So anyways, it's just me and Nick this week uh, going to sit here and talk with you Oops. about Dunkirk. Oh. About what? Well, I was just really excited when he said we were going to talk. Yeah. Then you said it was about Dunkirk, so my excitement dropped a little oh, bit. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Well, well I guess... so is war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. It would be a... A pretty good descriptive word for for war would be sad. Thank you. Yep. It's also our president's, one of his favorite hashtags on Twitter, so that's good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That also is a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Yep. So, uh, the film is Dunkirk, directed by and written by solely Christopher Nolan, who... uh, made a war film and went a little bit out of his... Made a war film mm-hmm. and, and a historically based film. You know, I mean, everything else he's done has been either in the realm of fantasy or uh, something that is very clearly fiction, you know, like Following or Insomnia, which was a remake. So, like, not only is it out of his comfort zone for genre, but just yeah. the whole... Uh, historical nature of it is interesting for me as as far as him stepping out of his comfort zone. Well, and the only other film that he's even incorporated characters who have some sort of real basis from The Prestige, and that was making, like, fictional versions yeah, of, I mean, that of was real like, people, so... Yeah. Yeah. That was more of a grab bag of, like, yeah. spot the reference. Name dropping. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. This is, like, this is a real thing that happened, mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell my 
Nolan story of it, I guess. The the Nolan story. Yeah, yeah it's okay. That's all right. It's much better, uh, even if you don't like this film, than the Wally Fister version of what this would have been. So you know. Yeah, probably. Boy, that guy's done. Yeah, his career is not as transcendent as he thought it would be. <laughs> oh man, I went deep. Oops, <laughs> I meant deep. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, are you? Can yeah. we just wrap it up and go to ratings? Yep. Yeah, you'd probably be fine with that. I'm guessing. Probably. <laughs> At any rate, this film does revolve around uh, Allied soldiers who are from Belgium. Uh, the British Empire, as they are, oh, sorry, the Allied soldiers from Belgium, the British Empire, and France, as they are surrounded by the German army and evacuated during a fierce battle during World War II. And as the film's title mentions, this takes place in Dunkirk. So, the film stars people who you probably have never heard of, and, in all likelihood, may never hear from again, including uh, a guy named Fionn Whitehead, another guy named Damien Bernard, and Aniran Barnard, not to be confused with Damien Bonnard, and I could be fucking up those pronunciations, so if I am, sorry. Uh, also making appearances here are Barry Ke- Keegan, or Keoghan, who is also really random, but myself and Nick saw him uh, at a uh, in a Sundance film that I, I know you quite liked. Loved. Yeah, called uh, Mammal, which you cannot find really anywhere. Uh, no, even it is now, still... So. Still in the in the ether. I know somebody picked it up, but it's a distribution company I've never heard of, which I think says something. Yeah. And <clears throat> ever since they quote unquote picked it up, they have not announced anything other than just that they have the rights to it. So yeah, so hopefully somebody else rescues it. So that kid though, yeah. uh, who was in that film and was in this film, uh-huh. uh, he will be one of the main characters in the uh, upcoming Yorgos Lanthamos film. The Killing of a Sacred Deer. That's right. I which, forgot about that. Which probably has one of the most awesome film posters I can recall. Yeah. Have you not seen it? I feel like maybe I have, but yeah. I forget. Here you go. Just so. No, you... I haven't seen that. Hold no? On. Okay. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This, this is, is really... a live moment this here is really on good radio. For, this is really good for podcasting. <laughs> that this... is actually a great poster. Yeah, it's pretty good. Just, it looks amazing. Like, I wish the people who are listening <laughs> could see what I'm looking at. Because it looks awesome. You could go to Google and just pull that up the, No, the I have not poster, seen that. But, but it is actually a, qu- a quite good film poster. Yeah, and it's a great cast. I'm sorry, but Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, and mm-hmm. now Barry Keough. I mean, yeah. come on. And uh, again, Yorgos Lanthamos, who uh, really kind of appeared on the scene in a, a somewhat of a cult uh, hit because a lot of people actually saw I think this the is the first time he branched, not branched out, but um, because it was English language. Um, it was it was the most I've heard people talk about Yorgos Lanthimos for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited to see what he'll do next. As I am as well. Yeah. And I would guess that there's a chance we'll be reviewing that film later this year. I can see that. Oh yeah. So uh, also here are Kenneth Branagh, Killian Murphy, Harry Styles. Harry Styles. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that was a casting choice. And, and you know, it's interesting, someone like Harry Styles, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't think he'd be casted in a movie, let alone like a Christopher Nolan war epic. And it just goes to show you that, you know, people don't just go in one direction. You know, they go in multiple different directions. That's how you go. Oh, and his it's... acting was clearly perfect, so. Yeah. Assuming they're knocking down doors to cast him in future roles. Well, and he's not the first, though. I mean, think about it. Nick Jonas was having a weird... He uh, still is, I think. Yeah, he still is. Yeah. Um, but hasn't really taken off. No. I mean, it, it, I, people aren't actually saying anything bad about him, because I heard he was decent in the David Gordon Green movie, Goat, uh, or Greatest of All Time, G-O-A-T, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. Goat. Um, <laughs> not Goat. Goat. Uh, and whatever goats. he was just recently. Anyway, but yeah. it's, it's a weird trend that's kind of happening right now. Well, it's, I mean... Lady Gaga is a reoccurring uh, actress on uh, American Horror Story. And she's going to be in that remake of A Star is Born, too. So, I mean, not that people have never gone from music to film. I mean, it's been pretty, I mean... I mean, but at the same time, um, we're way past the heyday of the Rat Pack, where that was like actually the norm. Yeah. You know, where you'd have Dean Martin for no reason singing a song in the middle of a cowboy movie. Um, so it's just weird that, like back then, I think they played to the strengths of like a charming pop persona, and I feel like we moved away from that. Partly, not completely, but partly mm-hmm. because of the way pop music itself has changed. And now, for whatever reason, we're seeing that uh, uh, weird, uh, you know, I guess the the arc of this is uh, parabolic. Well, if you're, a, if you're a casting director and you have a role that you're going to put either an inexperienced actor in or you're going to put someone who is also inexperienced but happens to be a name and maybe this will attract <laughs> more people to go to your film, and in an age where film studios only really truly care about the bottom line yeah it just makes sense i was gonna say i mean i heard harry styles will be in dunkirk and i'm not saying that made me want to see the movie but that's a soundbite in and of itself you know um not to mention just to get inside the mind of either christopher nolan or the casting director but you know if if war is obviously supposed to unnerve these characters and you know make them feel out of their depth um i think what's more uh, kind of terrifying to say, like, hey, you, you... I mean, certainly he's a performer, and he's been in probably in much larger crowds, but, like, I'm going to have you do acting on a movie set, which I don't think he's done, at least not in this kind of capacity, and do it in such a grand uh, epic. Yeah. I think part of that probably fueled his own performance of just, like, you know, nervous and whatnot. Yep. So it could I'm just sure. be a smart casting choice. Could be. Uh, the last two people I'll mention who you probably have heard of before are Mark Rylance and also Tom Hardy, who is flying, <laughs> who's flying a plane with his Bane mask on the yeah. entire time. So and boy, of... he just cannot shake it. He just like every time I hear him talk, I can't I can't help it. It's just every time. It... What are you talking about? Like I it just can't. <laughs> well, do this it. wasn't really fair because he was because <laughs> he had his mouth covered the whole time. <laughs> I was not just even covered, but a mask, you know that, <laughs> and, and that basically sucks the oxygen, you know, like that. Yeah. That was kind of like. And just to keep the streak going, Michael Caine also provided the uh, the dialogue for the captain that was uh, oh. talking to uh, Did not Tom Hardy in the. Yeah, it's a stretch. It's a. <laughs> 
little stretch. So that's okay. So, um, obviously, I was quite excited for this as I'm a pretty big Christopher Nolan fan, and I've liked every single one of his films to various degrees. Um, and if you don't mind, Nick, I'll just start off. Or did you? Mind? I do not mind. Okay, please go. Okay, because you don't have anything to say. Really, Maybe I will. Maybe yeah, you got I will. a couple things. Um, going into this, I was interested. Um, I definitely would say excited about Dunkirk, as I thought the idea of Christopher Nolan making a war film, which I, in general, enjoy war films. Yeah, you do. And Christopher Nolan, it seemed like... A lot of it set on a boat? <sighs> yeah, I mean, it just had all of it. That's, that's, and, that's a big Alex thing, for those who don't know. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> it's really, it's kind of irrational, but I, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of there. Um, and... I, in general, enjoy Tom Hardy in supporting roles. I mean, we've we've all pretty much seen that the starring thing is not going to work out for him. But in supporting roles, if he's given the right character, I've enjoyed a lot of the films he's been in. Even something that you didn't necessarily like, Nick, like The Revenant, you thought that he was at least... I thought you were going to say legend. No, you... Well, he starred in that. So he did. That, so that just took that right out of the running. I mean, it's true, but, you know, maybe his brother was a supporting... <laughs> character because he played too yeah anyway um but i remember when we talked about the revenant that you didn't like despise tom hardy's performance no, he was my favorite part of that movie yeah <laughs> so um and i was interested in that and um pretty much everything else about this film on paper and um I quite enjoyed this. Uh, I actually went back and saw it again for a second time in the theater because I wanted to, to firm up my thoughts on Dunkirk. Get it firm. It's now, way. before yes. you give your opinions, okay. I just want to point out to the audience that me and you saw this on 70 millimeter mm. the, uh, the first time. Not 70 millimeter IMAX, but uh, on glorious 70 millimeter film. Mm. And so I'm guessing you just went to one of the... Yep. I assume you wouldn't have Standard showings. So um, before you talk about the uh, film, was there any, did you notice any comparable difference between, not really, just curious. Okay. I am not the kind of person who gets into that kind of thing. So I, and I, for whatever reason, it does not usually jump out to me. So um, I'm a, I'm a bad example to ask, but I I did not know. Um, Thanks for wasting my time. Thank you. Thank you. Love it. I still, both times I went to see it, um, I think this is a really, really good film that has its own limitations that will always keep it from being a classic Christopher Nolan film. And he's a director who's got, I would say, for me at least, has at least four films that I would consider classics already. And some people may not think that, but I personally do. So... That being said, um, this kind of continues the trend of this film and his last film, Interstellar, of being, I think, really enjoyable and yet falling short of what my lofty expectations for his films are. Um, In terms of cinematography, sound design, uh, the use of practical special effects, um, even though there aren't many, like cool um, like alien-like effects or anything like that here, but there are quite a few 
solid explosions and uh, there's sinkings happening and it it just there's a nice mix of less cuts and, yeah. and practical effect not to say that they're all one takes or one shots but when you can like move the camera from the normal plane down to the bottom where the sand is because a soldier falls down and then still have the explosion go off in deep focus 10 yards behind him like that kind of mastery of proficiency is pretty great yeah so technically this film in my opinion is for the most part flawless like it's it has something to offer at almost every turn. Uh, there are a couple moments that feel a little like could have been better, but at the same time, that's completely overshadowed by some of the most amazing uh, film shots that I've seen in a, in a while. Not just this year, but uh, some of the some of the shots that were got um, when the planes are flying and fighting each other are just absolutely incredible. Yeah. And some of the the uh, camera tilting effects that are used throughout also are great. Uh, they're involved when there are sinkings happening with boats in the water that are just, they just look capsizing. Yeah. Yeah. And it never feels gimmicky. No. In fact, half the time I would like only notice it halfway through because then I would actually reorient myself of what I was looking at. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, the first time through, this is a an extremely intense film. Uh, the second time through, when you have an idea of what's at every turn, that completely pretty much fell off, which I have to dock a couple points for. But still, uh, this is a fantastic film, start to finish, from a, from a technical perspective. And I think, too, from a story perspective, this has highlights throughout. I enjoy Tom Hardy here, even though he's really just a guy sitting in a room with a mask on, talking and reciting lines. Um, I, I feel like the end of the film really pays off his character. Um, and at other points, other people are really good as well, including Mark Ryland, so I think gives a, a pretty solid performance, if not great. Um, I guess the thing I'll say about this is the reason why... There are two reasons why that this film will never be great in my opinion. And that is that a, the bizarre story structure here feels completely unnecessary and almost like it wasn't planned and they just kind of had to go with something to make the audience feel like it was something like a Christopher Nolan film. Maybe like like there like it does not feel like it had a really strong purpose and that's what makes it feel sloppy yeah. at points um and to that point um the scene on the beach is supposed to take place over a week yeah i'm not I sure about all that i don't and <clears throat> and i, I the get, mole stories yeah yeah they say one week but that was like two days maybe at best yeah, yeah. Either and that, or they're just completely not letting the audience in on, which is, I guess, okay, but not really because, um, this is this is um, this is two films for Christopher Nolan that have really struggled with the idea of time lapses because in Inception two, he goes all in trying to say, well, this eight minutes is a week, and this. 
time period. And it's Are you like, talking Inception or Interstellar? Inception. Okay, because yeah. Interstellar does the same thing. But where... does it pretty well, actually, I oh, think. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yep, yep. Interstellar has a, a better grasp, I think, because right. I think it was completely planned. And... I was going to say, it was exposition heavy, but that paid off because at least on the audience knew what was happening. Yeah. And the, the weight behind the time itself. Yeah. And it really made sense in Interstellar, which which I remember when I saw that, I thought that it was him improving a lot off of some of the, the pitfalls of Inception. Yeah. And here it seemed right back. And even if it's just the one, because it's really just the one storyline that makes no sense that that did not take place over a week. And yet you could you didn't even have to say it. Like right. you could have just said two days and yeah. I've been like, oh, okay. Yep. And it, it just, for even some reason. Even if you reason, didn't do... For the mo- even if you did for all three stories where you just name them, subtitled them if you really want to, whatever, but you don't give any time. We could have figured out by just watching it that these are three separate adventures that intersect. Intersected, yeah. The climax, like of the I don't film. like yeah. we we didn't need. So I, I yeah, I'm, I'm with you in this. Yeah. that it's so weirdly uh, and um yeah, the writing here uh, just had times where it felt strong and times where I was just like alright um, cool yeah. I, I thought there were some really good moments of dialogue and there were also some really good uh, silent film-esque moments which I know was a big part of this film for Christopher Nolan which is such an odd thing though because he wanted this to feel like a silent film but it obviously isn't so it's yeah. it's such a it's such a bit of a mess when that. But all that being said, uh, the final denouement-esque scene here where there's um, narration happening over the images that we see is absolutely fantastic. And it really makes the entire film come together and feel like a like just a... Like, if that moment had kind of had that feel throughout the rest of the film... I felt like this could have been a masterpiece, but unfortunately it wasn't that. So um, I've got a lot of thoughts here and there. Uh, I I touched on quite a few of them already, but I think this is a very good film that has its faults and I've seen Christopher Nolan do better. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would call myself a skeptical Nolan fan (laughs) because like, I think Memento is a masterpiece. Um, I've loved other movies he's made, like The Prestige and um, Insomnia, which is, I think, the very rare American remake that actually improves upon the original foreign language film. That's actually the one <laughs> film of his, other than his original film beginning, that really falls under the radar. It does, and I think yeah. it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually coming around on Interstellar, Yeah. Um, where every time I watch that, I like it a little more, and it's starting to become my favorite of like what we consider late Nolan, you yeah. know, like uh, where he's trying too hard, but <laughs> it's more endearing in that movie than it has been in these other movies. Yeah, uh, I can see that. Um, Dunkirk certainly was fighting a, a lost battle <laughs> when I sat down because <laughs> I do not like war movies um, because we know war doesn't happen in real life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I do not like war movies for the most part. Certainly there are exceptions to the rules, but in general, um, yeah. But I don't like war movies. I'm skeptical when it comes to Nolan and his mechanical... 
uh, like thumb that he rules his movie sets with. Um, and that's pretty much what I got out of this, which is that, like Alex said, technically it's a beautiful film. It's extremely well handled is the word I kind of want to use here because mm-hmm. it's very well shot. Um, the score is actually my favorite, Quite good. My favorite yeah. Zimmer score in forever. Because he's, got, I'm, he's got some weird parts that I didn't care for the first time and really didn't care for the second time. Uh, okay. But for the most part, I thought the score was fantastic yeah. here. And um, so there are a lot of stuff here that I liked. Uh, I liked all the actors. I even liked Kenneth Prado. Um <laughs> I you know I'm so, I love that it's kind of that one. I even liked Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, you know I wasn't so, you know I haven't liked him since Gilderoy Lockhart. So yeah, well he's gonna get that huge mustache out for uh, Murder on the Orient. We, we all That's know exciting. that I have conflicted feelings about that because I love that story and I love that character. That mustache though, I don't. But is... I'll say the mustache doesn't bother me because <sighs> even if it's definitely the worst iteration. <laughs> Of that mustache, like it is basically canonical that Poirot's mustache should bother you. Yeah, and <laughs> so it you know it just it, it makes there will be far worse grievances good, in, in that good, movie. I good, think. Good. Well, Johnny With, Depp is in it. I know your your love for him. N- well, he's the one who the murder right. victim. So I'm okay. You show me a movie where Johnny Depp gets murdered because he's Johnny <laughs> Depp. Fine, I'm, I'm with it. Um. Anyway. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, I, I don't really have strong feelings against this movie, but man, do I think this movie shoots itself in its in its foot. Like I really thought that even I could have been on board with it had no one resisted the urge to make this another puzzle box. Not because when you watch this, you're trying to solve it per se. It's not you know it's not mysterious in a structure. Mm-hmm. But the convolution that com- oh, yeah. comes out of his one hour, one day, one week structure is so stupid uh just that's the only way to say it and it's so beside the point i've I've seen some people leap up to defend it and say that it's a okay i'm I'm not gonna i'll disagree but i won't say that because they think this then it's wrong or something like that but I've, i've seen some people say that it's essentially it's a good representation of what war and how war itself can obscure time and the passing of it and i okay that would be true like there's a good movie to mine from that sentiment um if i thought that that's what it was doing but i'm more confused about characters when I'm it's the first time viewing and logistics than I am about what time we're because it pretty much says one hour, one day, one week. So it's not hard to follow on even if it doesn't all add up, but it's not hard to follow from start to finish what they're doing. Right. And and where this fits in. Clearly we're like, okay, like from the first twenty minutes you're like, Okay, Tom Hardy's one hour is clearly going to be happening at the end of the mole's one week and so mm-hmm. on and so mm-hmm. forth. And so it's like that would be true if this was actually um I don't know, some kind of actual tapestry of time where you can't quite piece together from start to finish when something happened, when something didn't. And I'd be interested in that kind of movie. But Nolan is not interested in anything of that ilk because he basically set out to make, for him, a straightforward movie. Um, You know, something not along the lines of Memento or something like that, which is also straightforward. And it's uh, once you... Once you're comfortable with the patterns of uh, this um, 
Memento's pacing, it's pretty standard. Yeah, um, but it has the it definitely has surprises along the way, which kind of when oh, it you, does. the first time out, you're already disoriented by what yeah. the film's doing and then you add those in and it's for sure totally gonna fuck with what you're I mean, for the most part, the only true straightforward films that he's made uh are probably all the Batman films in the prestige, which I know that those Insomnia. are Insomnia. Okay, you know, never mind. I'll just stop talking. You're right. There was way too many there. Then, okay. Yeah, and even the prestige, though, I would actually argue because the whole idea of that movie is that we can't trust what we're seeing, literally. So I think that bleeds even into the passing of time. Could be. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. um, so here we have this moment where I, I think, like, I was really on board for the first twenty minutes of this movie, and that was probably because it actually the first. 10 to 20 minutes or so really is only following the one story before it starts to introduce the other two. So it was when it was at its most straightforward and we were just following the the one main character, the story, the mole, uh, walk through the town. Like that was tense. It was well shot. I was on board for that. Yeah, you have him finding the guy who's burying the body and putting on clothes, and yeah. it's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> the, the uncomfortable shades of morality in those scenes, and... Um, and even when they're trying to race, I mean, that was one of the most tense moments in cinema when they're trying to race to get onto a boat. You know, like, that in and of itself, just two people carrying a uh, a stretcher with a, I'm assuming, dead guy. Well, he was wounded. Was he? Okay. Like, I couldn't remember the scene. I just assumed they just picked up a random dead person. Yeah, I mean, just... that's that. Um, that the <sighs> conclusion of that entire ordeal is actually one of the most, you know, it, it was one of the most scary war kind of moments ever where they load all of these uh, injured people who cannot walk onto, onto a boat uh, and the boat gets hit by a, by a bomb and it's sinking and they just die. Yeah. (laughs) War man. Yep. Um, So yeah, overall I just like, I don't know. I, I don't have too many strong feelings about this, but man, if no one could have just, stop being known for like five seconds when it comes to script. Uh, even the editing I found weird. Um, when it would decide to cut from one story to another, never, for me, made any sense on an emotional level like as to why we would drop in and out at this very moment. from you Because know, like individual scenes worked well, so I, I, I didn't hate it, but why we would go from this boat to that boat at that moment whenever it does, whatever just felt like because he set up this structure they just you had, to, had to, to it yeah they yeah. just had to literally start splicing whenever they could and um yeah just wasn't a fan um yeah. overall though i i still think it's worth going to see in the theaters uh, yeah. especially if you can see 70 millimeter from my own perspective i'm sure 70 millimeter imax is wonderful yeah so. yeah um, and technically, there's supposed to be a different aspect ratio for each format because of the difficulties it it takes to actually basically move this film from one format to another, so it undergoes some changes in the transformation. Um, but um, yeah, I would I would recommend it, even if I will definitely say I have no interest in watching it ever again. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I'll recommend it. I don't ever want to see this again. <laughs> Um, I will say there are multiple intense moments here that aid my enjoyment of the film, even if I, I have problems with it. the one I just mentioned, where we have the sinking of the boat, where basically 
uh, the general who's played by Kenneth Branagh decides we need to push this boat off because it's going to bring down the entire the entire dock and then we'll all be dead so felt very much like a titanic moment like like well just like cut your losses type yeah sacrifice there's there's no other options there in a split second decision so um and then uh one of the first times uh in a while that i found myself being like in a movie theater uh, is when Tom Hardy shoots down the final plane. Well, not the final plane, but the in the the big There's battle another scene. Another plane after this one. <laughs> well, yeah, but anyway. you you know what I'm talking yeah. about in the finale of the climactic moment of the film when he shoots down the final fil- uh, final plane. And I wish it... he shot down the movie. <laughs> shot down the film. <laughs> like the this. end of uh, the movie uh, Tulane Blacktop, where the actual film reel. Uh, burns up and the movie is unfinished. It's great. It's a great movie. Anyway, it sounds like a Quentin Tarantino thing. Kind of. Yeah. Um. But man, when that plane goes down and it—I mean, it's obvious. What as soon as you see it, you're like, "Uh oh, I know what this is gonna be." Uh, and it crashes into the boat, the sinking boat, and just all the oil just explodes and burns up most of the people still in the water, and it's like, uh, You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Oh my. (laughs) And, I mean, just watching that, in in a film that is a a war film that definitely shows the bad bad parts of war, but is not a uh, Saving Private Ryan gore fest or anything like that, but you have people getting burned alive at the end of this film and it's like ooh yeah the oil in the water scene was pretty horrifying yeah and like you say not because you can see every i don't know what you want to call it but burning and every like skin flaying or whatever but just the way he captures it of like yeah. people being dragged through the water uh covered in that oil you you just start connecting the dots of what's happening to like every extra on screen and it's it's really horrifyingly caught and um you see the guy who's who's trying to hold his breath underwater and then eventually deciding he can't hold his breath or doesn't want to hold his breath any longer because he'll he'll eventually just drown and he goes up and burns to death and it's i mean that is that is right there for you so i mean those scenes in there and there are others too that i'm i'm that are not coming to the top of my my head right now but um you had plenty of those kind of key scenes that are here that are definitely memorable i would say uh and then you had other scenes in this film which could could can't be forgotten for me for the wrong reasons like how many times are we going to have to see tom hardy look at his gas gauge that is broken like well we needed to know so that way when he landed in german territory (laughs) we wouldn't know that this is why they made us look at his gas gauge 10 times in a row to make sure we know that he didn't have enough gas to get home because we never would have figured it out no but I think that's pretty obvious. I know it is to the audience, yeah. and it's 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 hit over your head multiple times. I just wish, but you, there they was keep like... going back to him looking down at it, and it's still broken. I really, so. <laughs> I really wish there would have been like a, like an airplane type gag where one time he just looks at it, and then you just see like still no gas or something like that. <laughs> Darn it! <laughs> um, yeah, 
Can we Fuck talk you, Batman? Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Can we talk about one flaw I think is in this movie, which is the characters, like just across the board. I think if someone enjoys this movie on a plot level and like just as a story, I'm totally like but for being like I won't even really call it an ensemble film, but for being a film that boasts many performances uh, across many different situations, even it's, if it's trying to sell to that. Oh, we've got Mark Rylance off of his yeah. Oscar win. We've got Tom Hardy, who you all know. We've got Killian Murphy, who you've Kenneth seen Branagh. in many uh, Christopher Nolan films. Kenneth Branagh, as you yeah. mentioned, and and then obviously there's all the unknowns and and Harry Styles. Yeah, <laughs> and nobody here is really allowed to kind of sink their teeth into a character. They're just, and this is par for the course, but they're just vessels for exposition you know they're they're there like kenneth Branagh is i've seen someone call him general exposition (laughs) um and you know that's not completely unheard of for nolan but i've at least i'll take matthew mcconaughey crying exposition over people just stoically saying what's happening well there's no whiteboard here though so no and that was a flaw (laughs) um so, you know, whatever. Um, one thing I would have wanted more of, and maybe this is a very Nick thing to say, but um, I would have just been fine with the entire movie being about the uh, people on the Mark Rylance boat. Like, the, 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 the exchanges between him, his son, the their stowaway, so to speak, soldier, and the Barry Keough um, character. character. Like, who, who, who gets... Who gets brutally killed yeah. by killing Murphy's like, character. There is enough <laughs> from their story. In- well, I mean, I, okay. Oh, sorry. Let me, let me just respond. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that sounds worse than it is. If you <laughs> haven't seen the film, yeah. he isn't brutally killed, but during a moment where uh, obviously killing Murphy There's is, an accidental brutality. Movie. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously going through post-traumatic stress and a and lot of And he's in no way things. trying to actually harm him. No, but him. at the same time, he does yeah. throw him down the stairs and, does. and end up killing him. He does. So that's what I meant. Sorry. And that's actually probably maybe my favorite moment in the entire movie. <laughs> no, no, no. Later on. When Killian Murphy asks if he's okay, and yeah. uh, he says, "Yeah, he's okay," you know, he's like he's gonna f- be fine. Well, and then you have the the uh, outstanding Mark Rylands kind of nod and close of his eyes, which is which was great yeah. too. Um, but their whole story, like I thought, if you would expanded that to feature length, you would have had, including them getting to Dunkirk, like you can still then have Include your the. the- fighter pilots yeah like it's not like you have to delete the other characters but if it was their Mm -hmm. story and their one day to get to dunkirk whatever Mm -hmm. i thought you would have had a pretty fascinating little microcosm of of war and its randomness and its brutalness and its humanity and in its courageous you know well and and you and it's it's brought up by killian murphy's character but he's like your your weekend sailors who don't fight people right so it would have and it, i you know now thinking about it that way and usually you're right but uh at the same <laughs> uh you know that would have been more interesting from a film viewing level yeah but. and i just thought i guess i'm picking them too because i think they were the, the one with the most solid foundation to branch off of and actually give them characters to really work within well um, they were the only real characters you get to know because they they're not constantly 
going from boat to boat that right. is sinking yeah. too. They're so. not in peril until the end, um, which means that and even and even then, even then, yeah, not really. which means that they're allowed to exist and actually just be themselves. And mm-hmm. not, which, and I'm not saying war. You know, we have to have a a really penetrating character, although you could, uh, but a penetrating character study where we, like, have so much downtime with these soldiers and, like, I don't need it to be MASH or something. Um, <laughs> but I, there definitely could have been a better balance here between exposition and just some semblance of humanity that goes beyond the archetypes of these just being regular average show soldiers. Yeah. Anyway. Well, a part of that, though, is that they're supposed to be very um, – the characters that we follow that are soldiers, that, that we, at least as the audience, follow, are mostly supposed to be unprepared soldiers yeah. who were just kind of dumped into this. Now, and that's not saying that soldiers at other times during World War II were – prepared and ready for <laughs> overachievers this. yeah but you've got all these kids that are have been thrown into this and yeah just like other films have shown uh even if you don't really care for it a film like jarhead has shown that you've just thrown teenagers of this time period into a uh very unwinnable situation where they're they, their brains probably haven't fully developed anyways, and now they're fighting wars. One thing I'll give credit to this movie is mm-hmm. I thought the casting skewed very heavily into the younger age um, for for good, accurate reasons, where a lot of times with these kind of movies, they try to kind of like at least cherry-pick and put a few like George Clooney types into like every fourth role or something like that, just to have some kind of semblance of, I don't know, whatever. When is really, it was just these young kids yeah. who no, were I mean, being there are, there's... thrown. I mean, there are adults. I'm not saying it is Lord of the Flies. Yeah, but the the <clears throat> the soldiers who are supposed to be young, the grunts are actual grunts. Yeah, and that's what I was. Pretty... And they're supposed to be an experience. Now, this was something that I actually thought was uh, a downfall of this film is that Christopher Nolan seems like he tried to cast inexperienced actors in roles of inexperienced soldiers, which doesn't necessarily correlate to good performances. But no. um, I don't know what anybody else would have been able to do no, with the that's role. that's the thing, though. I, like, it's, so it's, it's not, not like, too the much of a thing, loss. But it, but I, I can see, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought some of their interactions were, were, were pretty good, uh, although I felt like some of the... Like, the scene... Um, when they get on to the uh, grounded boat that obviously eventually makes it 30 miles out in five minutes, um, which that gets right into what happened with this timeline and the the losing time war th- argument. Nah. Uh, um, but at the same time, that whole scene where there's the kind of infighting and finding out that the one guy is French and wanting to have them get off, but then they're not going to get off because the boat's getting shot and then they're all trying to escape anyways. And then we see the, the, the French guy end up drowning. Um, he's been kind of the, the friend of the main character the entire time. I mean, that whole scene really actually drags on over multiple cutbacks 
that goes on for like 12 minutes yeah. of, a, of a somewhat short film, especially That's... for Christopher Nolan films. Yeah. So, yeah. That was one of my most confusing parts when it comes to this timeline, so to speak, was that the one week thing wouldn't be that grief uh, that bad if most of the mole storyline are set over about three to four major set pieces yeah you know it's not like they're cutting between a lot of different scenes but it's the opening beach prologue ish thing which is like pretty much half the movie mm-hmm. uh the, the one boat when they're in when, the boat when they actually get sunk by a torpedo yeah, yeah. And then just and that like that in and of itself is like technically they're at the end of the day I felt like their storyline took place in over an hour I mean not literally but like it felt like it just because we were with it felt like a day yeah so it, yeah that that was weird yeah I, that that whole part of the story I still can't and it was weird too at the very out. end when Harry Styles just kind of stood up and said it's been one week since you left me got your head in the sack I'm angry. Five days in the left Get back together. Come back to sleep. Okay, I'm done. Thank you. Yeah, that scene, though, actually... Three days of a the, the actual scene at the end of the film, uh, when they're on the train and uh, Fionn Whitehead's character is reading the, the newspaper and you have them feeling as if they're failures because they are pretty much branded as somewhat cowards for... Yeah. A pretty much death? the public's so. reaction in this movie. I'm not going to say I'm a his- historian, but mm. in this movie, and probably I would say to extend to reality, like the idea of a evacuation is just not seen as a uh, as a victory in and of itself, which is kind of scary when you think about it. Especially because even if no one, all, all they're doing is evacuating death. Yeah. So, and even if no one drives it home a little too hard, I I, I did like the bluntness of the line of, from the blind guy who. When the soldier quit back after he said, good job, good job, and he said, all we did was survive, and he goes, that's enough. And I was like, yeah. oh, there's the thesis. Yeah. But we see here that there are obviously lots of people who didn't feel that way. No, and that's um, what I kind of liked about the sense of community versus the kind of propaganda-esque uh, state media. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, that whole final ten minutes... Like, that was actually pretty great. Um, I mean, the, the, I wouldn't even say that I would love the entire movie if it was more like that, but I definitely would have enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the final, one of the final images of Tom Hardy staring at the burning plane as he's getting taken prisoner and eventually going to his death. Um, spoilers. <laughs> um, that scene is just... That's so memorable for me. Like the the image of that that final image of the the burning plane is just gonna, we, gonna be one that'll easily be remembered for me. What you don't know is that Tom Hardy is actually playing the same characters that he played in Legend, but it's a prestige like twist oh where the Tom Hardy we see at the end is not the same as his brother that we that was in the actual plane. It's pretty crazy. Mm. Yeah, you're mm. welcome. So who wants to go to ratings? Me. Okay. Um, why don't you go ahead and start? Okay. Okay. Two and a half. Mm-hmm. Got it. Any, anything else? <laughs> I think that speaks for it. It's pretty much right down the middle. I don't really like. I'm not going to go to bat to like trash this movie because there's a lot that it does well, mm-hmm. but it doesn't do much for me. So yeah. two and a half. 
I could very much understand where you, where you're coming from uh, with your thoughts. I still quite enjoyed this film, even though it absolutely has faults, as as many Christopher Nolan films have had. I mean, the idea of him making perfect films is is something that's going to be hard going forward. Because, again, for me, at least I'm, I'm grading him, much like when we did the episode on Baby Driver, and you were saying that you're grading Edgar Wright in a curve, where I'm doing pretty much the same thing at this point with uh, Christopher Nolan. And all great directors uh, should eventually get to that level. Yeah, like, it means you're a good director. Yeah, like, but... you, like if you... If you go into a Paul Thomas Anderson film and just say, well, I hope this is good, like, you're fooling yourself. Like, yeah. that better be a really fucking great film yeah. or else he's failed. And so, if, if I think yeah. you giving this what you're going to give it is like if I gave a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, like, a, a somewhat mediocre rating, which mm-hmm. is that, in general, I find it better than most movies I see. But I wanted this to be better, which is how I feel about this. Uh, I'm still giving it a three and a half. I think this is a, a very good film that has a lot of uh, easily memorable moments, uh, specifically involving the score, as uh, you mentioned, Nick, and also cinematography, special effects, sound design. I mean, the whole gamut of actual physical effects and, and that kind of thing Uh is pretty much perfect here for me. And story-wise, there are highs and lows, peaks and valleys, but yet... Um, Wars and battles. Yeah. Uh, there's still, there's still unfortunately, something to be desired from, from Dunkirk. So it's a three and a half out of five for me, and definitely a film that I would uh, suggest anyone go see in the theater. It's easily one of the best beach movies I've ever seen, you know, just... Well, you're comparing s- it probably to Leonardo DiCaprio's s- The Beach. Summer, so. No, I was thinking, like, Beach Blanket bang, Bingo and... <laughs> Summer Rental. Yeah, you Have know, you ever just, seen Summer Rental with John Candy? Oh, you know what, actually, <laughs> it was on TV, like, yeah. is that the same movie? Because I, I watched 30 minutes of a John Candy movie that I'd never seen before about a week ago. Are you thinking about Uncle Buck? No, okay. I've seen Uncle Buck. Okay. But at one point... I believe it's summer rental. But mm-hmm. at one point, John Candy was visiting with a woman in a bikini. Yes. Okay. And yes. she's like... She asked him yeah. to feel her breasts. Yep. Yes. So that was a movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch it much past that scene. I got to tell you, we're going to watch that someday. <laughs> because uh, that film turns into a... Horror ma- movie. <laughs> a magical boat race at the end. Whoa. Uh, it's like every summer movie. Well, yeah. But it's like a yacht boat race, uh, and of course they're going against the evil person oh. who uh, <laughs> plays such a stereotypical evil character that at one point during the film, first of all, John Candy's character, uh, for whatever reason, goes and finds him and confronts him at a funeral, which <laughs> is a little oh. bit... Interesting. Uh, <laughs> A little not cool, um, no. and at the same time, this villainous character signs some bad contract for something on the coffin, and he puts down the lid during the funeral or the wake or whatever to sign this, and it's it's just really odd. Um, but uh, this boat race at the end involves Rip Torn mm. and his. Uh, restaurant that he owned that's an old boat that's been turned into a restaurant. Oh. And of course, they race this old restaurant boat against the other yachts in this race. Oh, hell yeah. 
And of course, don't tell win. me who went. Oh, oh come on, man. I didn't know. Oh, come on, it's an '80s film. Couldn't figure it out. Yeah. So, anyways, it's a it's a it's a bad delight. But. So anyway, Dunkirk mm-hmm. and Summer Rental are basically the same movies. <laughs> Just saying. Coming up on our next episode, uh, again, Toussaint will be uh, not participating next week, which um, is becoming the norm. But uh, taking shots at someone who's not here. That's okay. He's actually had real reasons why he yeah. hasn't been on, so it's, it's fine. We're shitting on him, but... Yeah. It's all in fun, right? Yeah. yeah. So this uh, this next film we're going to talk about is another new film, which we've done a ton of them this year, uh, but we're going to continue with them next week. And this is a film that is right up Nick Sally and looks like something I might hate. <laughs> so, so it could be a fun episode. Yeah. And this is uh, going to be uh, an episode revolving around the film A Ghost Story, which stars Ooh. Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. And is directed by David Lowry, who directed uh, Pete's Dragon last Pete's year. Pete's Dragon, which yeah. is one of the best movies of last year. Hey, all right. So at least you're excited about that because have... you gave rave reviews of Pete's Dragon. It's I. Uh, it's fantastic. I actually have a bunch of my nephew, well, second nephews, coming over. Mm-hmm. Uh, not nephews, cousins. Okay. I always say yeah. anyway. Bunch of second cousins coming over, a bunch of little kids, because my parents are having this camping weekend where they're going to come over and camp over in our driveway because they're. It's a long story, but there's going to be an <laughs> RV in our driveway. And anyway, um, we're not Man. supplying the RV. It's my cousins have an RV, and they're coming, parking in our driveway in a very Uncle Eddie like. Trade their house fashion. for it? <laughs> no, they just have an RV. <laughs> And so anyway, but they're coming over, and that's where Got they're the going to sleep in the clinic for getting, the night. Getting cured off the wild turkey. But Sorry. we're going to, for the first time of having a, because we've had a pool in my backyard mm-hmm. since I was like in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. So for the first time, we're going to have a uh, screen and a Ooh, projector. Wow. An outside movie. And because it's a movie, it means I get to choose whatever the hell we're watching because I'm the only one who knows how to set it all up. <laughs> and I'm I'm definitely doing Peace Dragon. Okay. It's a great movie. And okay. so anyway, uh, if you haven't watched Peace Dragon, watch Dunkirk because it's in theaters for only a limited time. But then go watch Peace Dragon. <laughs> and if you have a chance to go see a ghost story, you oh, could yeah, follow too. along with us here on Film Tank as myself and Nick will be talking about it on next week's episode. <laughs> Toussaint and... will actually be here next week for the uh-huh. episode, but he's just going to be underneath a sheet with two eyes cut out into it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, if you have never seen the trailer for this, which is possible as this is you know a little under the radar a24 release um this basically revolves around Rooney Mara's character and her husband Casey Affleck who dies and becomes a ghost and he's <laughs> literally looks like a ghost that you would have seen out of like you said earlier Nick a, a cartoon or something from the 1980s it's, it's how children dress up as ghosts yeah wearing a, a white sheet with eye cutouts yep but um you know i obviously was a little hesitant about even viewing this film because it sounded just not at up my alley at all but the idea of him kind of just always being there for the rest of her life and kind of seeing her live her life out and have uh high moments where he just kind of always has to be there is 
super awkward. <laughs> Me? Ew. Yeah. So we'll talk about it. <laughs> I am going to promise not to heckle this in the theater. Thank so. you very much. I know. I'm. It's, it's sad that we've gotten to the point that I have to <laughs> announce that I will not do that. But honestly, you don't. <laughs> Technically, I think the only reason why you heckled that one night is because you were drunk. That's probably part of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, because in general, you're not a heckler. But when you got to that theater, you were ready to have a good time. And I was. Because the Neon Demon was not giving you the time you wanted. Uh, um, I will say that I don't necessarily know if I would have different feelings about it seeing it again. No, I'm not saying you would think differently about it. But as far as like you yelling at a, in a movie theater, I think it was a, it was a combination of the now, environment. I will, say, I will say this. If it was just the three of us in the theater, I don't think it would have turned into that either. Probably not. No, there was definitely... Now, there may have been like one mutual. or two... Yeah. Now, there may have been one or two lines, yeah. but it would not have turned into that performance. No. So. No, it wouldn't have. <laughs> I'm not blaming other people for it, but I'm just saying... <laughs> but I'm not taking responsibility. <laughs> America. <laughs> so. It's so sad. Yeah. So we'll be talking about that coming up on episode 122. If you have any thoughts on either uh, the film we're talking about next week, Ghost Story or Dunkirk, always feel free to send them on to us as we'd love to hear them at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us occasionally on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. Or you could find us on our website, filmtankshow.com, where you can find all of our episodes, every single one of them, and you can find our most recent episodes as well on iTunes or Stitcher at Film Tank Show. Thank you, as always, to, to Nick Cheney for oh, being here. come on. You know yeah. I'll always be here. Well, yeah. You, Too you, soft. You've been here for pretty much all the episodes. Yeah. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thank you to the audience. From myself, Alex Diekman, we will catch up with you next time here on Film Tank. Film Tank.